2: hey 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 and welcome to episode 43 of take about podcast i'm your host eli tokash and today boy do we have a amazing show for you an amazing guest i can't i can't even grasp the gift that you are about to receive and that's 14 time broadway star Carolee carmelo she is a three-time tony nomination she is a award-nominated actress Before we turn it over to the interview, let's talk some news, shall we? It was an incredible week, everyone. A a, a real week of hope for the Broadway community. As you all know, Friday, March 12th, was Broadway's one-year anniversary of Broadway being shut down. So, with that being said, there was an incredible pop-up performance... And, like, this isn't no, like, ordinary pop-up performance. Like, you know, this is a lot of people, not just, like, two people. The Broadway community came together, and they put on another show, I have to say. They put on a show in the heart of Times Square. It was magical. I mean, I wasn't able to attend in person, but even just the videos, you could feel magical and how special it was like it brought me to tears seriously it, it brought such a glimpse of hope it was incredible in that pop-up performance if you haven't heard about it yet they're calling it a pop-up performance a we will be back pop-up performance but I'm going to show you guys that it was not a pop-up performance because it was a full-blown show starring Cheetah Rivera, Andre De Shields, Matthew Broderick Brian Stokes Mitchell, Peppermint, Nikki James, Sierra Boggus, Jerry Mitchell, Joel Gray, Lilius White, Catherine Gallagher, Ryan Redman, and my friends from Finding Neverland, Julius Rubio, Ryan Wersing, Mary Page Nance, and so many other Broadway stars. It was absolutely insane. I mean, there was literally countless other people. I could not name them all, otherwise I would be taking up as much time as the interview with Carolee Carmelo. Uh, um, So it was, it was insane. The videos, the pictures, even just the hope that you get the joy that overcomes your body is just another level. Wow. I mean, seriously, it was just magical and it is what theater is all about. It just validates how magical theater is and how magical, the essence of a live performance can bring to the entire world. So it, it was just absolutely incredible. If you haven't heard about it, go check it out because it's really something that you won't want to miss. You can look it up on YouTube, BroadwayWorld.com, Broadway.com, anything really. Just search up We Will Be Back or Broadway Community in Times Square or something like that. I can almost guarantee you that something will pop up and you could see it in the performers, the pictures. I mean, everyone there was like practically in tears because it brought them back to do what they love and to share the stage and meet new people and see some old friends and all of these amazing things, all of what theater does and what it's all about. So it was a true, true glimpse of hope for the Broadway community and uh, Broadway in general. Speaking of Glimpse of Hope, we have another theater that opened up and that's the Jerry Orbach Theater. And that's going to be on April 9th. So that's only like three weeks away. So we are definitely getting close. I know it's a smaller house, but I do believe that if all goes well there, then Broadway, those bigger houses and everything will learn from those smaller houses and they will take the same protocols that the smaller houses are doing. And um, we're going to get some live theater soon. I, I I think it's happening. By the way, if you don't know, the Jerry Orbach Theater is the home of the Office musical parody, which I didn't even know was still on, uh, off Broadway. But hey, it's live theater and it's a live performance. So uh, if you're interested, check it out. Some more fun things happened this week were the Grammy Awards. Hello. They were so fun to watch. T-Swift for the win. Best album of the year. I, I was so happy. She just deserved it all. She's gone through a lot. If you have yet to watch that documentary, by the way, go check it out. It's on Netflix. It's incredible. It's unfortunate, but what she's had to deal with and what she's overcome is pretty incredible. And now to keep doing it and keep working and keep creating music at such a high level and win. Hey. Kudos to Taylor Swift. It was awesome. But the reason I brought this up was because Broadway has a category on the Grammys. And for this year's winner of the 2021 Grammy Award for Best Broadway Cast Album, can you take a guess? because i'm sure you can it's jagged little pill that's right jagged little pill is now a grammy winning musical oh my gosh this show i swear when the tonys come around it's just gonna it's gonna take all the awards it's gonna be this year's hamilton i think this show's was one of my favorite shows that I've seen from this uh from this year and I think it actually is my favorite show from this year because some of the other shows that I saw that are pretty close to it are not eligible because it didn't open in time like 6 for instance. So that's so exciting and I don't know if anyone knows who was also nominated in that category because it wasn't nationally televised that yeah, that's right the Broadway community was not represented at the Grammys, unfortunately, nationally. Um, And they did it before the national broadcast went out. And they didn't do that category live on national TV, which I was kind of bummed about because, I don't know, I I just felt like Broadway was kind of getting some recognition lately and we were being shut down, but we were still getting recognition and people were trying to like shine an extra light on us, but it doesn't seem like that was the case at the grammy awards but that's okay so the shows that were in that category were actually quite surprising to me um you had amelie but it was the original london cast it had american utopia on broadway it had jagged little pill little shop of horrors the new off-broadway cast the prince of egypt and soft power So I was pretty surprised at this category, but I guess these, like the Tony Awards, there was like a small amount of shows that were actually eligible to be nominated. I think the show that deserved to win won, so I was happy about that. And during the Grammys, the In the Heights trailer was premiered for the very first time, and I don't know if anybody saw it, but I like tweeted about it and I posted it on the Instagram and everything like that. I am so excited for that movie (laughs) and to see Lin-Manuel make a cameo as like an ice cream man during the trailer was just, it made the whole thing even better. But honestly, I love Anthony Ramos and I can't wait for this movie and I know it's going to be amazing. And Lin-Manuel just announced that he's also coming out with a book about In the Heights called In the Heights, Finding Home. No, not Finding Neverland, Finding Home. Yes, that's right. So there's a bunch of fun things happening in the Broadway community and a lot of fun things that happened throughout this week. And when I say fun, I really mean fun. So if you haven't seen anything from these two things that I've mentioned, be sure to check it out because I promise you'll be inspired. So go check that out. And without further ado, I'm not going to keep talking. Let's turn it over to Carolee Carmelo. Carolee Carmelo, curtain up. This week's guest is legit Broadway royalty. I mean, she's been in 14 Broadway shows Countless off Broadway and other shows, touring productions, everything like that. She's a three time Tony nominated actress and she's an award winning actress on top of that. Welcome to Take About Kara Lee Carmelo. Woo-hoo! Hi, hi. hi, I'm so excited that we get to <laughs> chat again. Kara Lee played my grandmother in Finding Neverland, which was like her 13th yes, Broadway clear. show, not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> and that's where how we met and I've said it before on this podcast like when you're in a show with someone you don't always ask them like those crazy questions that you kind of want to ask but you like never get around to doing it so I'm glad that today it kind of gives me an excuse to ask those questions so before we get into your career as
1: long as I get to ask, oh my god you of too. course
2: anything for you So before we get into your career, what inspired your career? Like what made you want to be like on Broadway and what made you fall in love with theater? Gosh,
1: uh, you know, I've talked about this before, but it was a little bit ass backwards. I mean, I was um, I don't think when I was growing up that I really understood that people made a living as an actor <laughs> or in the theater. I grew up in Albany, New York, and I had my my eyes set on a career in corporate America. Oh. Like I, I went to college for business administration. Mm-hmm. I got my degree in business, and and during college, I did a few little shows. I did a couple of shows in my dormitory cafeteria, which oh my was God, quite that's the experience. Amazing.
2: In the cafeteria,
1: I played Huddle in Fiddler on the Roof in my cafeteria, and also Nancy in Oliver.
2: Oh my god, we need to get videos of these. (laughs) How can we see them?
1: I don't think video cameras existed (laughs) back then.
2: Oh my goodness, that's amazing. That
1: was just sort of dabbling, and I, I really was only doing it as a hobby. And then, um, when I was a senior in college. I was doing a community theater production of The Music Man. And someone from a local dinner theater offered me a summer job, which would have been the the summer after I graduated from college. And it just seemed like a good idea to kind of clear my head and have a, a fun summer doing something that was unrelated to studying and exams and all that stuff before I kind of figured out my next step. But at that time, I really had no intention of pursuing a career in theater. I was just kind of using it as a palate cleanser. Sure. And then I assumed I'd either like get an MBA or go to law school or just kind of get a job in some corporation somewhere. That's, that was my plan. Oh,
2: how they've changed. <laughs> right
1: about now, I'm wishing I had gone to law school. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> I understand. A
1: little or gig. I think a lot of people are questioning their choices. So yeah, I worked with all these people from New York and they were like, you should try it. You should move to New York and see what happens. And so at that point I was, you know, whatever, 20 years old, 21 years old. And I thought this is probably the best time to make these kind of mistakes and get this out of my system. So I moved to New York that fall. It was you know, a couple months after I graduated from college and I just sort of took a chance and moved to the city with no training and no experience, really. I'm just a little community theater experience. And I had that summer job and I just started auditioning for things. And and it was kind of, you know, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know. So I was so naive that I I think I wasn't as scared as I should have been, really.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get that.
1: (laughs) So that's how it started. And I just got a couple jobs. And every once in a while, I would think, you know what? Maybe now it's time to go get my Mm. MBA. And then I would get another theater job that would kind of suck me back in. And so now we're, you know, like 40 years later or something. Oh, my gosh. Here we
2: are. You made it. You made it. (laughs) You made your Broadway debut at the age of 27, right? Is that right? Or around there?
1: I don't even know. That sounds about right. (laughs) I don't know. What There's been
2: too many. <laughs> <laughs> so talk me through that process of like coming to New York and you know like there may have been like those times like I guess touch upon those discouragements a little bit more and like what did you have to do to like just scrape and like make live paycheck to paycheck to pay rent and everything like that.
1: Yeah yeah I mean those were definitely years when I was <laughs> eating a lot of Campbell's tomato yeah. soup. <laughs> I had survival jobs like everybody else. I didn't, I wasn't ever waiting tables, but I was one of those perfume sales oh. girls in the department stores. I did a lot of that, <laughs> that paid $10 an hour and I was grateful for it. And it was very flexible. Like if you had an audition, you could say, you know, I can't be there until three o'clock or that, you know, they were pretty, cause they had a lot of actors working mm. for them. And I I remember a couple of temp jobs that were a little sketchy where they would send me down to, they probably don't do anything like this anymore because it doesn't seem safe, but they would send a couple of us out with a tray of cigarettes to hand out free samples. And I remember I, I, one time they sent me down to like Wall Street area and I didn't know, I had no idea where I was. I was in some, you know, like cute little, outfit with, you know, tights and heels and handing out cigarettes to random oh people God. for $10 an hour. So those kinds of jobs are definitely <laughs> in my background. That's how I, I managed to, you know, make up the difference between various theater jobs and unemployment.
2: That's incredible. I mean, actors, I'm sure, make fantastic salespeople. Like, you know, you're you're just like, you got to just sell it, you know? (laughs) And that's kind of what we do on stage. Totally. So then you ended up making your Broadway debut in City of Angels. And um, do you remember like just that feeling of your first Broadway show and stepping onto the stage for the first time?
1: I remember I was really impressed with the whole creative team that was an incredible group of people um Michael Blakemore was the director and David Zippel was the lyricist who's still a good friend of mine Larry Gelbart who who wrote MASH and all these amazing movies he wrote the book and Cy Coleman wrote the music you know so it was it was an incredible group of people to just be around but I I have to say I wasn't Particularly happy <laughs> because I just didn't have anything to do in the show. I was an understudy for the most part, but my onstage, you know, day-to-day show was basically one line that I had, and I was off stage for you know hours every night, just kind of going crazy. Mm. So I actually didn't stay in the show very long, even though I had finally gotten my Broadway show, and you would think that. I would have been satisfied to stay there for a year or something, but I was really restless. I really wanted to play a role and, you know, have a a fun character to sink my teeth into. So I was cast as the lead in the tour of chess. Uh Uh-huh. And I decided to go do that. So I left City of Angels, I think, about a month after we opened. Oh, wow. It was quick.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: And they were kind of shocked. They were like, "What? (laughs) what? Excuse me?
2: Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. And now is on that chess tour, is that kind of that moment where you're like, Oh, yeah, this is something that I can see myself doing for the rest of my life?
1: I think that was more Yeah, that felt more like, satisfying. Like, mm-hmm. I had, a, I had a great I had great songs to sing. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this know the score of Chess. That incredible songs, and it was a great cast: Stephen Bogartis and Barbara Walsh and John Herrera, and and we were, you know, traveling around the country doing this fun show, and it felt more like I've made it. You know that that was more of that moment than actually my Broadway debut was. I didn't I didn't feel as as happy or celebratory in City of Angels, until I went back at the, um, later on in the run of City of Angels, I was able to go back and play one of the leading characters. I played Uli for like the last nine months or so of the, of the oh run, I gosh, think. Oh my
2: gosh, that's incredible. Yeah,
1: and that felt great. That was really a nice full circle moment.
2: That's awesome. What a crazy like 10-year period that was for you, because you went from like being in your first Broadway show, and you weren't like the happiest, you say, and then almost exactly 10 years later this little show called Parade comes around and it it gets you your first tony nomination is that is that how that was
1: i mean that that show really was one of the most amazing experiences of my life it just was such a brilliant piece of writing
2: jason robert brown is incredible uh,
1: unbelievable and alfred yuri who wrote the book yeah and hal prince of course but yes i had i I auditioned for them. I knew Jason a little bit because I had done an off-Broadway show called John and Jen. Okay. And Jason had done the arrangements, the musical arrangements for that in the orchestra. Oh. And so he knew me a little bit, and I don't know whether he recommended me or what, but I got an audition somehow for the first reading that they were doing of Parade down in Philadelphia.
2: Oh, wow.
1: So I auditioned for, for Hal, and he was very nice and- I didn't really think I was going to get it because I didn't feel like I was the physical type for that character so much, but, but then they cast me and I, it was, it was a really tricky time because I had just given birth to my daughter and oh my God. they asked me to go to Philadelphia. It was just six months after my daughter was born. So I had to leave her as a six-month-old, and...
2: You couldn't take her with you?
1: It, not really, because we were going to be working Yeah, you know, long days, and so... it. And it was only, I think, a week or a week and a half. Okay. So she stayed home with her dad, and I went to Philadelphia. I know that you have done so many readings and workshops and stuff, and a lot of times you feel like, oh, this is pretty good, and a lot of times you don't. A lot of times you're
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, wow, this is... <laughs> This is not great material. But that was one of those times when I just thought, oh my God, this is so good. Like I just kept looking around the room, wondering if everybody else was feeling the same thing. Like, this is really brilliant. And I remember riding the train home from Philadelphia with Herndon Lackey, who played um, the prosecuting attorney. And I was like, is this as good as I think it is? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he thought so too but at the same time you know you just never know what's going to be successful yeah. in this world and what's going to you know make it to Broadway so years went on you know where we would do another workshop and then we went to Canada and did a little thing and then oh, wow. you know every six months or so I would go I wonder if parade is ever going to happen you know and then it finally did at Lincoln Center and it was it was an amazing experience and I just wish it had gone on longer. It didn't it didn't last as yeah. long as any of us wanted it to, but at least we did we did a cast recording and that was great. Saved it for yeah for history.
2: So that uh reading in Philadelphia, was that like the first ever reading? Were you with it since like the first I
1: think I think it was, unless there was something that they did you know, in somebody's apartment that I don't know about.
2: Wow. There
1: might've been, you know, they might've just sung through it with some people that I'm not aware of, but there was a time. I mean, this is a good good story for, for young actors and people who are, you know, sort of starting out because there was a time during this process where I forget how many readings and workshops we had already done, but we had done a few. And I got a phone call from Hal Prince which, you know, is amazing in and of itself. Yeah. (laughs) Calls you up. (laughs) But basically he was calling to tell me that he wasn't going to use me anymore. And he said, he said, look, you know, you're fantastic. You know, great work kid, but uh, we're going to go a different (laughs) direction. Uh, You know, we want to, we want to look for somebody who's a little more physically, you know, the type that Lucille Frank was and, and, you know, but thank you for, for everything you've done. And, and look, we're going to do one more reading uh, in a couple of weeks and I I would love you to do it, but I just want you to know that it's not, you know, we're not going to use you after that basically was
2: the conversation
1: and it was heartbreaking. And I remember feeling like, you know, what should I do? Like, should I, Should I just say, no, if you're not going to use me, then never mind, you know, I'll, I'll find something else to do. But the material was so good. I just loved it so much. And I thought, well, I'll have one more chance to sing those songs and, and, uh, and to work with Hal and, and to be around all those people. So I did it. And as it turned out, it was a good decision because they, Changed their mind after that and decided to keep me. So you I don't blew know, them
2: away. I don't know
1: exactly <laughs> what happened, but I'm <laughs> really glad that I that I decided to swallow my pride. You know.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Did it change drastically throughout the process?
1: I wouldn't say drastically. I mean, there there definitely were changes. Mm-hmm. Things got got fleshed out that were a little, you know, kind of vague in the beginning and songs got added and things got shifted around, but I, I don't know if it was drastic changes during those. Okay. Yeah. It was pretty great right from the beginning.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I mean, look at the team that you just named. I mean, how can it not be, you know, like it's, it's insane.
1: Well, you would think, but you know, I'm sure you've worked on projects where amazing people are, are involved and it just doesn't, you know, the alchemy, of a show is so mysterious like you just don't know what's gonna work and what's not it just it's hard to predict and you can have an amazing group of talented people putting a show together and it just doesn't come together i don't know absolutely yeah mysterious with kiss it Can's free shoes motion sounds something like this
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18
2: plus. Can you recall where you were when you like found out that you were nominated for your first Tony?
1: Uh, yes, I was in California. I was doing oh. a production of bells are ringing with Steven Bogardis. And I remember because I was in LA, you know, there was a time difference. And I remember waking up in the morning, you know, whatever time, nine o'clock or something. And I thought, well, it's noon in New York and nobody's called me. So I guess I didn't get nominated. And then I checked in with my husband at the time and he was like, Oh my God, you got
2: nominated. I was like, why didn't you call me? No way. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. That's how you found out. Yeah. That's awesome. What a story.
1: Well, that was back in the time when they didn't like broadcast the nominations, you know, online sure. thing. So there, I don't know if I would have woken up at you know 6 a.m. or whatever to, to listen, if that had been a possibility. But I knew something was happening that morning, and I just, you know, I was disappointed when I woke up and didn't have any phone calls.
2: Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> incredible. And then, of course he was able to break the news to you that's awesome <laughs> so the the third show that i'm going to mention is finding neverland and that was the, I that one i don't know i've never heard of it but i heard it was like okay i don't know it was oh, kinda... yeah
1: it was a cool show you should check it out Listen. okay to the okay
2: album. yeah i've heard the album is pretty great so that was the show that we were able to do together and one of my favorite memories with you from the show was playing like all kinds of silly games and one of them like our favorite one was always bananagrams. like how i wasn't there from like oh my god stop it she has it in her room this is incredible oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love it.
0: I still love it.
2: Yes, of course. How can you not? So I wasn't there from like the beginning. I joined like just after it opened. So, like, it, when I came, it was, like, already a thing. It was like, all right, we're going to go play Bananagrams with Carolee. So, like, what, like, how did that start? Like, is that something you just bring to shows when you're, like, when you're in it? I
1: think I learned about it, actually, when we were doing the show pre-Broadway up in uh, oh. ART, up in Cambridge. A bunch of people from the ensemble would sit in this little green room area, which was just off the stage, and there was a coffee table there, and they would play at various times during the show. And so when I was off stage, which as you know was a lot of the show, yeah. <laughs> I, off stage. I would, you know, check in and and maybe play around or two. And I just I think that's where I discovered the game. And and I'm not sure who introduced it. It might have been Josh Layman.
2: Oh, of course. he
1: like that. Because he was, he was in that room a lot, making people laugh.
2: <laughs> Cross knitting, I'm sure. But,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my favorite thing about Finding Neverland, was playing with you guys during my offstage time. I mean, the show yeah. was nice and all, but I really loved <laughs> hanging out with you guys and making goofy videos and...
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Playing games and running around the theater, playing tricks on people and whatever.
2: Absolutely. The dub smashes backstage when that was like hot. That was like, that was our favorite thing. Making silly photos. We actually, she sent me one before uh, we got on today and I'll definitely post it. But uh, we were building like a pyramid Poor Carolee, you had to put up with six crazy boys, like nonsense. Seven at one time.
1: That was my favorite part. Put up (laughs) with, I was the instigator. I was always coming down to your desk. Okay, you guys, here's my video for today. Here's my crazy idea. Who wants to be in this video?
2: <laughs> yes we, we loved it we were like wow we're honored that like one of the adults like wants to like have fun with us you know and not just our wrangler <laughs> i
1: was probably pulling you out of of studying because you guys were always like oh yeah next stage doing schoolwork, and i would come downstairs downstairs to the to the room and go like okay I need four people to come upstairs with me (laughs) (laughs) because it was like, should we do math homework or should we do this video?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was a no brainer for the kids, but it was tough for the child Wrangler and the tutors. But that was another cool thing too. You know, like you actually were able, like those Bananagrams, we were able to count that as school for like however long we played. So that was like some- Yes so we they were very nice to us I mean they weren't technically supposed to do that but they were nice enough and they were like, well, it's an educational game. And so we can count it as like English and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, you would always beat the pants off of us and like teach us new words and everything. So like it would totally worked. We would definitely learn. So I, I understand why they counted it now. <laughs> I mean, you were practically our grandmother, our teacher and instigator. You were everything to us, you know? Um, and then, And then all of a sudden, so like, What, like, I don't know. It was just something about Neverland that was just so special and brought, like, the cast together to where we could have all of those fun, crazy moments and create memories like that. Like, do you think that that is, like, a common thing throughout, like, all, like, just, like, the theater community and everything like that? Or was, like, what was it about Neverland? I think
1: think a lot of shows do have that sort of family fun spirit Mm -hmm. about them. But... for me, I loved being around you guys. That's what made it special. Like not not all shows have so many kids, you know? Sometimes you have, you know, one or two and and I've loved those shows too. But because there was like a gang of you guys, right it made it feel like summer camp, you know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think too, like I've always said that like There was something about like Neverland 2, just like the story of it and how like it just reminded you to play and just to have fun and find that inner kid. And like, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but the kids were definitely like, you know, kind of made that come into play even more like from a backstage point of view and I think just with that and the story and just like being reminded that it was okay to like find the inner child like I just thought it like brought everyone together so much more and kind of made everyone just like more free and not just like you know you didn't really have to think about what you did you could just go out and be yourself and have fun
1: I think you're absolutely right I think that part of the lesson of that that show was try to enjoy life while you can, you know, because you yeah. never know what's going to happen. Yeah, so we did. We, we had a good time while we were there. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> <least> totally. I- <laughs> <laughs> we definitely made the most of, like, the year and a half or two years that we had together. But the reason that I brought these three shows up, Finding Neverland Parade and City of Angels, you went from, like, playing, like, the star or, like, the daughter, like, I guess, like, the teenager or whatever it may be, and then to a mom and then to a grandma. So like, what is that like, from an actor's point of view? Like, how does that affect your portrayal of a role? And how does that affect your preparation and everything like that?
1: Yeah, this is a very timely, mature question you ask, actually, because <laughs> it is it's, it's a hard thing for an actor, I think, especially, mm-hmm. I don't want to be sexist about it. But I think it is especially hard for women. In business yeah. to age and to find satisfying work as you're aging, you know?
2: Well, I don't think you've aged a bit, to be honest. Like, you could totally be playing that teenager still. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in a production of Grease this summer. Come see Yes.
2: It. Oh, my God, so please. <laughs> we all need a little Grease and care leave Carmelo in <laughs> Grease right now, <laughs> you know?
1: Um, but, yeah, it's hard. I, I think it is... It, you know, when you're when you're young, you look forward to growing into roles and and being able to play something that you see somebody else doing on stage, you know, and, and you look forward to things. And at my age, you know, I've a year and a half away from 60. And oh my goodness. I, I'm looking backwards more than forwards, you know. I'm thinking about the things that I've done and maybe hoping to do a couple of new things again, but it's, it's, it's really, um, you have to come to terms with it, I I guess. It's, it's not been an easy process. I mean, I've been so grateful for the work that I've had. And I'm at an age now where there's still, you know, I mean, I I got to play Mama Rose and Gypsy a few years, a couple years ago at a, at a summer stock theater. And there are great roles out there for people my age, but they're they're fewer and farther between you know so I have to kind of resign myself to the fact that it's not going to be the same as it was in my 20s or 30s or even 40s it's sure it's different so so grandmother roles are kind of what I'm stuck with now
2: (laughs) well listen I mean you just you most recently played Dolly Levi and hello Dolly like that's pretty amazing right
1: that's true, yeah. I mean, they're, those those roles, like I was just mentioning Mama Rose and Gypsy or Mame or Dolly, I mean, those are kind of from another era, you know, those musicals. Yeah. The, the golden age of musicals that starred Ethel Merman and Angela Lansbury and all those great divas, uh, they don't really write those shows anymore, you know, so... Uh, they they mostly right now anyway are writing shows for younger people and so you're you're in the prime, you know, uh, target age of, of <laughs> what they're looking for and I'm looking at shows that were written in the fifties and sixties and hoping that they'll get revived so I can not sure. parts again.
2: Yeah, totally we mentioned Hello, Dolly. So like, let's just talk about it. Because I I love the fact that you were able to play Dolly. And I'm so mad that I wasn't able to see you on the tour. But what what is it like to play that role? I mean, you mentioned you, you did Finding Neverland. And like, you know, that wasn't a role that you were on stage the entire show. But with Dolly, you were literally on stage practically the entire show. So like, did you have to change any of your habits of like eating did you sleep and all of that like how would how did you manage it
1: oh yeah it is it it was a a little more um taxing than I was expecting it to be you know because when I think of Dolly uh, you know of course nowadays most people who have seen it have seen Bette Midler do it or or Bernadette Peters but I had thought of the Carol Channing version which was the original Broadway company and she did so many revivals of it she was playing that role, I think, when she was in her late seventies or maybe even oh, in her eighties. Oh my god! So I That's thought, amazing, you know, how hard can this be if a <laughs> year-old woman can do it? And I was really surprised when I got into the nuts and bolts of it, how much energy it took. You know, it was oh really, my goodness, it was really a workout. I don't know if it's because I'm older now, but it was. It definitely was. You know, at the end of the night, I was wiped out. Yeah. But so fun you know it's such a funny script and it's got you know a very kind of sweet poignant moments too with all those beautiful um monologues that she has so it was it was a thrill I I was really sad that was the show I was doing when COVID shut everything down so yeah it was sad to see that end but you know Maybe I'll get to do that part again someday. It was really fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, and then you were also like on tour with it too. Like, do you think that was also like that kind of added to like the tiredness, I guess? I don't know. Just because you had to travel like on your day offs and everything like that. Like, do you think that had anything to do with it?
1: have I didn't think about that. Yeah, you might be right because we did mostly one week stops. Yeah. Well, pretty much every day off we were moving to another city and you know, you got to pack every time and and find your way around the new city and where can I eat and what can I, you know, where can I work out and so yeah, it was a little extra stress, but it also was really cool because that show is such a kind of happy energy. Yeah. It was nice to travel around the country with that because you know, the last few years in this country have been a little divided. I mean, the 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 population of this country is is kind of, you know, at each other's throats all the time. So, it was really nice to travel around to all these different parts of the United States and bring them this kind of joyful experience i wish it had gone on for a little longer but i'm sure a lot of people feel that way about the shows they were doing at the time
2: yeah totally yeah and that's a great way to put it just to like connect everyone you know and just like go visit even if it is for a week you know just like bring everyone together and you know let the magic of theater do its thing
1: absolutely like for two and a half hours everybody just yeah forgets their troubles and it didn't matter if you were republican or democrat or rich or poor or young or old it was really uh, just a happy show so yeah i think we we're gonna need some of that in the near future
2: yes we need it right now we, we need, need it
1: right theater. now but we're gonna yeah. have to a little longer i think yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, another a recent show that you did before you did hello dolly was sweeney todd now yeah. wait before i even talk about these we're like Mrs. Lovett and hello like Dolly, were they like dream roles of yours? you know, like I feel like those roles are just like so iconic in theater, you know
1: they absolutely are i don't I don't know if I really thought about like, gosh, I want to play those parts someday. I think when the opportunity came up, I was very excited about it, but I don't know if it was ever something that I was like projecting, you know into the universe to do. But that production of Sweeney was so interesting. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I really was excited about the idea of it even before I knew, you know, all the details. I was, I just heard about this production that they did in London where they converted this actual pie shop into a little (laughs) theater space. Right. It was brilliant. And then they moved it to the West end and sort of built this little pie shop within the theater so that people walked in the door and felt like they were in this tiny little pie shop. Right. Such a cool idea. Uh. Yeah. And it was just the eight of us in the cast. I mean, usually Sweeney has a big cast, you know, for all those huge vocal, you know, numbers uh, and only three musicians and we had no microphones and it was oh really amazing. And we were in everybody's face. I mean, it was, it was like you <laughs> go in your living room, you know, and everybody- yeah. Sitting on the couch and you're walking around like singing into everyone's face, it took some getting used to, I have to say.
2: Yeah, I I couldn't imagine. I mean, it's cool, like, to it's cool when shows get revived and just see how like people like reimagine it all. Was that your first time doing a Sondheim musical?
1: The only other Sondheim musical I had done was Company when I was younger. I played uh Marta who sings Another Hundred People, yes, I did that in uh in a theater just outside of detroit when i was in my 20s so oh my gosh that was the only other time yeah it was do you
2: find like that like just sondheim in general like his work do you find that like i don't know like a layer of challenge i don't know like how to word it exactly but it's just so different from like your typical theater stuff
1: it's definitely challenging i mean i i we only had three weeks to learn Sweeney Todd and that was oh, wow. really, really hard. I had never done it before. Norm Lewis, who was playing Sweeney at the at the beginning of our run, he had done the role like a few years, like I think maybe 10 years earlier. So it was kind of in his head a little bit. But for me, I was learning it all from scratch and it was a lot. Yeah, it, it's complicated, intricate stuff, but it's so well-written that Once you kind of find the groove of it, uh, it's it's easy to play because there's so much there. The Mm -hmm. hardest part, I have to say, was that Mr. Sondheim himself came to our very first performance. So Norm and I had 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 three weeks, like I said, to learn the show. Oh, my God. And the (laughs) first night they put us in, because I I don't know if, if your listeners know, but when they opened the the revival of this production in New York, they had um, the four leads were from London. They brought them over from um, London. They were only allowed to stay, I think, six weeks or something. So once they had to go back they were replaced by American actors. And that's when we went in. So Mr. Sondheim came to the very first performance that Norm and I were doing. And he, and and the space is so small that, you know, he's right there. You could see, you could see his face in every, you know, reaction or non-reaction that he was doing. Oh my God. So it was so frightening. And the worst part was (laughs) that, that Norm had been i think doing a concert or something the day before and he lost his voice in the middle of the show and had to step out and the other oh, study no. who had never been on uh, and i had never rehearsed with was on for the second act
2: Oh, my God. Well, that's always fun.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when Sondheim's in the audience. I remember saying to him at intermission, I was like, okay, you know, it's not going to be a problem. I got you. Don't worry. You know, it's his first time on. It's going to be fine. And then I walked away and I was like, wait a minute. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) This is my first show, too.
2: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's so awesome. Do you still like get nervous or was it like just the fact that Sondheim was there? Like, you know, like when opening any show, really?
1: I I still get nervous um if I feel like I'm not totally ready. And uh-huh. that was definitely a time when I felt like I would have loved to have another week of rehearsal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like you said, those the the Sondheim score is it's so dense and it's so complicated. And I really didn't quite have it in my bones yet. Sure. So yeah, I was very nervous. I think I would have been nervous anyway, had it not been, you know, Stephen Sondheim in the audience. But then when <laughs> When they told us that, it, you know, the nerves yeah. went from here to here.
2: <laughs> right. I totally understand that. That's insane that that had to happen on your first night. Oh my yeah. God. But what a story. It's so, like, I love those. Like, after the show, was there just like a sense of like relief, just like relate, uh, weight off your back?
1: I think, um, I think what we were waiting to hear what he thought, you know? Okay. I don't, I don't think he stayed around to talk to us that night i think he left and we were expecting to get some notes from him which we did get notes but i think it took a couple of days so i don't believe i had a real sigh of relief until i heard that he was fairly satisfied with you know what we had done
2: that's <laughs> then, incredible okay
1: okay i guess
2: i can do it then. <laughs> oh my gosh that's I mean, he's
1: such a legend having right his- Having him in any audience of any show that you would do, of course you'd be, you know, thinking about it. But when it's his own writing, and I know from his reputation how particular he is about things, yeah, it it was scary.
2: Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Oh my, just the, like the name, like Steven Sondheim, like it, like. Just, like, thinking about that is making me, like, nervous. You know, like, I don't know.
1: Sweat on my upper lip right now. Just yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so
2: sorry. I didn't mean to, like, make you relive all of these nervous <laughs> yes. moments. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's incredible. You then went on, at, like, we talked about Parade, and you had your first Tony nomination there. And then you did Scandalous, and then, or or was it the other way around? Was it L- Lestet? First it yeah.
1: That and was then, the next nomination and then scandalous,
2: yeah. Scandalous. Okay. So like did that ever like just get old for you? Like that just hearing that you were nominated again and kind of just like going through that process and going through the Tony Awards and the press and all of that. Like or was it kind of just like after your third one you were kind of like eh. No, <laughs>
1: it never it never got old. Well, I guess what what got old was the fact that each time I was nominated the show that I was nominated for had already closed and every time I was like so disappointed because I couldn't enjoy that feeling of like doing the part that I was nominated for right that was frustrating but no it never got old I mean I you know it's such a it's such an honor to just be recognized by the people in your field and to feel like someone is is watching what you have poured your heart and soul into and saying, yes, we think that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it it's never, you know, anytime anybody tells you that they like what you're doing or that it, something was meaningful to them, you know, even when people talk to me at the stage door and say, you know, you really lifted my spirits tonight or whatever it is that that never gets old it's always it's always a lovely thing to hear
2: yeah i mean i know you you weren't able to like you know get a nomination when the show was still going on but at least you kind of knew that like hey i did my job i did pretty good right <laughs> <laughs> so I that's always that i guess rewarding
1: people. yeah <laughs> i guess you're
2: right so i mean we've we've talked about this obviously like you've been in shows for several years so like you know you did like finding neverland for a couple years and all these other shows and then you've also done shows where they've closed like before they've even ran for a year so like what have you found to be like i guess like a key to success for a show
1: oh wow Gosh, if I knew the answer to that, I think I would be. Would you write them all? (laughs) I would be a millionaire Broadway producer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, like we were saying before, it's so hard to know what's Mm going to make a show come together. And even a show like Parade, that I felt like really did come together and was really a beautiful, brilliantly written show, it still didn't have a long run because for whatever reason, it didn't find its audience, you know? So it's just so hard to know. I don't think I have the answer to that. I think it's a combination of the writing and the time and and what an audience is looking for, you know? I mean, I did, um, the show that I did for the longest amount of time probably was Mamma Mia, which I did for Mm -hmm. about four years.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) And that opened right after September 11th.
2: Oh wow. And
1: it was a show that just, you know, it was what people wanted, you know? They wanted mm-hmm. color and light and and happiness and silliness and songs that they already knew from ABBA. You know, it was just that perfect combination of what people needed at that moment in history. It's just such a weird thing to try to figure out and I know greater minds than mine have, have tried to figure out what's gonna make a hit Broadway show. Um I, I can't even begin to figure it out. For for me, just like wanting to be a part of something it's always about the writing and, yeah. and wanting to be involved with something that's that's well written. But there are shows that are not well written that become big hits too. And there are yeah. shows that are really great that just never make it. So and
2: it's interesting too like with parade just how it didn't find its audience you know right away but it seems like in today's climate it's really kind of has found an audience and kind of being talked about more and more it's interesting too like how musicals could be ahead of their time you know
1: that's that's true yeah and it it has had a life after the fact so that's yeah satisfying in its own way yeah you
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Yeah. So let, let's play a little game. Let's do some rapid fire questions. All of these questions you actually may know who came up with all of these questions. Do you remember Patrick McNamara? He saw Finding Neverland 116 times.
1: Oh my
2: God. <laughs> He's a huge, he was a huge fan of Finding Neverland. I do um, remember
1: him. I do yes, remember he would him. always sit he in like the best. front row. Okay, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, he was the best. Um, so questions? yeah, he came <laughs> up with these. Yeah, I, I had mentioned to like, I have like a Patreon thing. And so like I mentioned that you are coming on and like got a bunch of like questions submitted. And so like some of them were from other people, but the this one was from Pat, all of these actually. So I figured awesome. let's just make a rapid fire questions out of them. So he wants to know, what's your favorite role that yes. you've done so far?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I think there are two that are kind of tied and Parade is one of them for sure, because okay. it was the the first time I ever created a role for Broadway for an original mm. show. The other one that's kind of the total opposite end of the spectrum I think was when I played Ella Peterson in Bells Are Ringing which was the show that I did what I was just talking about when I got the nomination for parade.
2: Yeah. So
1: it's kind of the opposite end of the world but it's just so funny and so silly and she gets to play all these different characters and so I loved doing that. But you know, when I'm doing something, I do enjoy the roles that I'm playing. Like I loved doing Sweeney and I loved doing chess and I loved, you know, those yeah. are the two that are top of the list, I think.
2: Awesome. Okay. So what role have you not played yet that you aspire to play?
1: Oh uh, gosh. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of hoping there'll still be maybe some original thing that I don't even know mm-hmm. about yet. That's that's kind of the big dream, but Of the shows that exist in the world that I haven't done yet, I guess the one is MAME. I don't know, you know, there aren't that many productions of MAME, but it's a fun role for somebody my age, and there aren't that many of those, as we've said. (laughs) Uh, Yes, (laughs) of course.
2: Yes, and we have to cross that off the bucket list. So whoever's out there and wants to put on a production of MAME, you know (laughs) who to find. (laughs) Have you been to Greece in celebration of Mamma Mia?
1: No, but I always thought the producers should send us there on a vacation. Yeah,
2: Thank totally. You, do yeah. some like, you know, I've you got to do yet. some research. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Incredible. Um. So, and then, oh, what was it like to be in an episode of Smash?
1: Oh, that was really fun. But, you know, it was kind of sad because I was playing... Uh, Andy's mom and he was Mm -hmm. it was the end of the series and they were killing him off yeah he got hit by a car and I was playing his mom and so it was very sad because (laughs) we actually were only on like one little episode where it was happy we were celebrating his opening night and everything and then we we were supposed to be in the episode where they were doing like the memorial service but because the show was ending they didn't have enough money to like hire more people so they didn't even bring us on. I was like, "Why oh is God son got killed and I'm not even at the memorial service. Oh no.
2: Oh my gosh, that's so funny. That's crazy how like that is how
1: television yeah. works. It's a, really. it's, a budget, it's a budget thing, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's Oh my god. Um, and then last one, do you have a favorite director that you've worked oh with? Oh my
1: gosh. I've, I've worked with so many wonderful people. I think the one that comes to mind is Graziella Danielle. She oh. she started out as a dancer and then became a choreographer and then became a director. And I first got to know her uh, doing a show called Hello Again at Lincoln mm. Center, which some people might know about because it's it's a show that gets done like in colleges and stuff. She's just so, ah, uh, she's so passionate about storytelling and she's so supportive you know sometimes there are brilliant directors who don't really know how to talk to actors but Mm. she's one of those people that can like get the best out of you while still making you feel good about yourself (laughs) like yeah she doesn't use criticism as much as encouragement you know and i like
2: that's awesome what's her name again can you say one more time
1: graziella danielle
2: oh my gosh Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to like look her up. Yeah. I also noticed too um like w- you've done like all musicals. Like you ha- would you ever consider doing like a play or is it just, you know, something that you love about musicals? Uh,
1: I do love musicals, but I would definitely like to do a play. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's really hard to make transitions in this business, you know, hopefully hmm. you'll you've had experience on screen and stage, so clearly you're you're better at that transition than i am (laughs) but yeah when when casting people and directors see that you've done a lot of musicals they they have a tendency to not cast you in straight plays
2: but Um, we would love
1: to do one so hopefully there'll be an opportunity for that sometime in the future
2: yeah we got to just like put it out there you know you got to put it out (laughs) in the universe and maybe it'll happen you know Well, this has been incredible and I've had a blast catching up with you. Um, I'm so like excited that I was able to talk to you about all of these amazing things and like these things that you've done since Finding Neverland. Um, It's been really cool. So I I thank you for taking the time to chatting with me. And I know that everyone listening is just going to absolutely love this episode. So thank you.
1: You're so welcome. It was great (laughs) to talk to you.
2: Yay. Take a bow, Carolee Carmelo. Oh my gosh. That was literally a blast. I'm so excited that I was able to catch up with her. Just talking to her and and listening to what she had to say and her infinite wisdom um, was just incredible. And just to ask those questions about, you know, what's your favorite character? What, like, you have so much experience. What did you have to overcome and hearing that she didn't make her Broadway debut until she was 27, yet she still made this incredible career out of it is just so inspiring. So really, it's all about timing. I can't stress this enough for anyone who's listening. Never get discouraged because it may not happen until you're 27. And it may not happen until you're 50. I mean, it it could happen at any time. So just keep at it. And if this is something that you really love to do, it'll find a way to, to work it all itself all out for you. But I think what she had to say as far as a, an actor's point of view of being a daughter, a grandma, a mom, all of that, she had just so many fun things to say. And it was interesting to t- hear her uh, Tony experience and everything like that. To talk about Jason Robert Brown, I got to work with Jason Robert Brown briefly in the King Kong reading. Yeah, I know there was a time where jason robert brown was writing the music for king kong and it was amazing but obviously we all know that that was not the version that they put on broadway it was very different and all of these things um hello dolly sweeney todd i've been dying to talk to her about that so i was glad that we were able to and i was able to share it all with you i didn't get to like talk about it during the episode but she has some very interesting like facts i guess you could say uh, about her her career and herself and you know she's been in 14 broadway shows like that's right there itself is just absolutely mind-boggling But with that being said, being in 14 Broadway shows, she's only performed in the same theater twice. So that's kind of crazy. And those two theaters are the Neil Simon Theater and the Lunt Fontaine Theater, where she did Finding Neverland, and The Adams Family was there as well. So I thought that was interesting. 14 times, and those are the only two theaters that she's performed in multiple times. She was never in a show for the same composers or writer on Broadway. She's worked with 14 new teams, I guess. And I thought that was incredible because I've been in two Broadway shows and I've worked with the same director. That's very interesting and very rare, I think. And then one more thing, her Tony nominations for Lestat, Scandalous, and Parade all were at like an exponential rate of seven years apart. Isn't that kind of crazy? Just like... Each one was seven years apart from the other. And I thought that was really cool. And I want to know how many times that's happened. Because it just goes to show that over her career, literally, no matter how old she was, she was still performing at a top tier. So 21 years apart, and she's still being nominated for Tony's, and she's still working and just killing it in all aspects. And actually, I do have one more last thing. So... She's is an award-winning actress, and she won a Drama Desk Award. And that award, that specific Drama Desk Award, is pretty historic because there's only been five times where the Drama Desk Awards have had ties. I've never heard of an award ceremony having ties or anything like that. So she actually, her one win for a Drama Desk Award was when she was tied with Bernadette Peters, I mean, that's kind of incredible, just an honor right there to not only be nominated in the same category as Bernadette Peters, but then to also win the award with her like that's kind of crazy. And I mean, like, obviously, Carolee Carmelo and Bernadette Peters, I mean, they're amazing. And uh, I thought that was really cool. So I I can't thank Carely enough for coming on and sharing her stories. And I hope that you all learned uh, some more about Neverland, some more about just being in the business and never giving up uh, and some of the challenges that you may face, but you can't let it discourage you. And special shout out to Patreon Pat McNamara, who is the best for sending those rapid-fire questions. She loved them, and she was so excited when I said his name. So thank you, Pat, for submitting those, and thank you for all your support for Take a Bow. Let's turn it over to Triple E's, shall we? And this is like a Patrick McNamara, like, Finding Neverland episode. This segment today is kind of dedicated to Pat as well because he is the one who uh, kind of inspired it. So Pat has been dying to know when mics are turned off and you go off stage after a scene do we have to do that or like does the sound do it like the sound engineer and are there ever like mishaps when the engineer forgets to turn off the mic so thankfully that is something that the actors do not have to do and that is all taken care of by the sound engineer and the sound engineers actually sit in the orchestra of the audience so he has like a giant soundboard that can't really fit anywhere else. So they put him in the audience and he, he's the one controlling all of that. And there have definitely been times where our mics have been on when we were off stage. And it's interesting because at the time we have no idea if they were on or off or not. Like when we're just talking, we're just having normal conversations and we don't really think that our, our mics are on. So It's not until after the fact or even sometimes after the show where it's brought to our attention where we were like, oh, can you just wait a few more seconds before you start talking and (laughs) pick it up? it's always interesting backstage because there's always something going on, whether it is good or bad, there's always something going on. And you know, it's a live performance with a bunch of people backstage, a bunch of set pieces, all of these amazing things. So something is definitely like gonna go wrong, but like it's how you handle it and how you manage it to, uh to see how the show goes and keep it running and keeping it live and keeping it fresh and keeping everyone on their toes and, I think that's one of the most fun things about live theater. And listen, sound engineering, like they have one of the hardest jobs and they're controlling way too many things that they need to take care of. But as an actor, you're not really like thinking about it. Like when you're in a performance, like when you get off stage, you don't even think about, oh, is my mic off? It's kind of something that you just like assume. You know, it's almost like as a kid, you know, you just assume your parents are going to make you breakfast when you get up or something like that. I don't know. I just, that was a random analogy. Anyways, (laughs) but yeah, it's just something that you, you even forget you have mics on sometimes. So like, you're like, oh yeah, I do have to be like careful for the sound engineer, of course. Yeah, yeah. And But we're all kind of doing our own thing and we're all trying to tell a story. And then when we get off stage, you know, we're talking about the scene or we're talking about food or like whatever it may be. It's sometimes the most random thing. And it's definitely common that uh, you can hear actors talk with their mics on and when they have no clue and they think it's off. So it's interesting. But uh, yeah, so thanks, Pat, for that question. And that is this week's Eli's Entertainment Experience. So, I mean, now we usually turn it over to Drama Dictionary. So let's do that. For this week's Drama Dictionary, we're actually going to have a little phrase. And it, it's something that keeping it Finding Neverland related was a huge superstition in the show. Um, and even a very big tradition with Cara Lee. Before every show, the whole cast is kind of in the first scene, so the cast all comes to the stage, and we're all waiting on the stage behind the curtain when it comes up. Each individual had their own handshakes with literally everyone in the cast, and they had their own, like, you know, little traditions that they did before the show, and one of mine with Kara Lees, we did a little handshake, we made a silly face, and then we go, three, two, one, break a leg, and... And so break a leg is actually going to be this week's Drama Dictionary phrase. So break a leg is actually a superstition in theater. (laughs) A lot of superstitions here in this uh, little explanation, but it is the alternative to good luck. Break a leg is kind of just the theater good luck because good luck is considered bad luck in theater. I don't know how that started, so when you see someone in theater and you're going to an audition or something like that don't say good luck because because believe it or not like the actor could actually get kind of discouraged and get a little worried and it could affect their performance so make sure you always say break a leg and they'll they'll take that and they'll appreciate that and so say to yourself, say to your parents, tell everyone It's break a leg, not good luck. (laughs) Because it's actually a very important phrase to have it in the theater and there are a lot of theories of the origin of break a leg but there's never been any clarification so if there was i would be able to share that with you um but that's kind of how it is in today's climate and uh we all say break a leg so that about wraps it up for this week's episode i'm so thankful that kara lee was able to come on and chat with us because she had so many great things to say and she's been in so many different things that i'm sure one of them has been your favorite and you wanted to hear from her if you're interested in following Carolee Carmelo on social media, it's just Carolee Carmelo. Her name, C-A-R-O-L-E-E, C-A-R-M-E-L-L-O. No spaces, no dots, no underscores, nothing. Just Carolee Carmelo. And keep up on all the new things that she's doing, and uh, she's incredible. So I, dec- I definitely recommend following her and becoming a fan of hers and even re-watching some of her old work. It's definitely worth it. And next week, we have a two-person guest, so I'm very excited for that one, and uh, I know that you're going to all love it, and they're doing really cool things, so I'm excited to share that all with you, as well as the new news that may happen this week in the Broadway community, so until then, this is The Curtain Call. Bye, everyone. For this episode's Curtain Call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take the bow is Tessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com TAB.